It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Scare in the air. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. Lightning struck a plane at 37,000 feet last night on a flight from Texas to Germany. The Airbus A330 experienced extreme turbulence. The plane had to make an emergency landing at Dulles Airport in northern Virginia. Seven passengers hospitalized. The plane completely just like dropped and everything, all the food and everything just flew everywhere. And it was pretty scary, honestly. But that wasn't the only scare in the air. Earlier a flight from Dallas to Orlando had to be diverted after fire broke out in an overhead compartment bin. All of a sudden, just a ton of smoke came out. So I yelled fire a few times. Fortunately, there was someone on board who could help. There was a retired fireman that jumped up and a flight crew came in. They got it put out. The flight crew did a really nice job. Ten people were transported to the hospital with injuries. Flags flying at half-staff today in Buffalo, New York, following the death of 37-year-old Jason Arno. He's the firefighter killed while battling that four-alarm blaze yesterday. Fire's got too much of a head start. We're going to pull him out. We're going to go defensive on this. Copy. Stand by for evacuation zone. The costume shop that burned was a supplier of theatrical props in Buffalo. This business owner down the street says the smoke lingers a day later. You can really smell smoke. You can smell it just coming down this way. A construction worker's torch is what sparked that deadly inferno. Arno was married and the father of a three-year-old child. We've got some more wintry weather headed our way. The storm starts later tomorrow. Afternoon Friday into the evening is the onset, and then it's going to do something through the course of the night. For a lot of you, that something is going to be a transition from snow to sleep. Meteorologist Eric Sniddle. South of the thruway, and the farther south you get, the quicker this happens. You could get in on some freezing rain and even some liquid rain, too. So the impact out of this is going to be very different from north to south. Expect one to four inches of snow Friday into Saturday. California's governors declared a state of emergency in 13 counties after historic snowstorms buried mountain communities. This is the real deal, and there's a lot of people in need up here. I've never seen it like this before. Stranded Californians are running short on supplies, says reporter Jonathan Vigliotti. Residents are digging out any way they can. Others hoping to get out, if they can. Many who tried didn't get far. Yosemite National Park is closed today. Seven feet of snow on the ground in the San Bernardino Mountains. Attorney General Garland is facing accusations of politicizing the Justice Department. Here's Utah Senator Mike Lee. Your department is not trusted because it has been politicized. I know you are a good person. You have the ability to rein it in. I ask that you do so promptly. Garland was pressed on Capitol Hill about his treatment of a pro-life activist in Pennsylvania. Two dozen agents clad in body armor and ballistic helmets and shields and a battering ram showed up at his house pointing rifles at his family. In the fall of 2021, the Justice Department urged the FBI to investigate parents who spoke out at school board meetings. Senate Republicans pushing to declassify all the intelligence on the origins 
origins of COVID-19. The more China lies, the more Americans died. They deserve the truth. South Carolina's Tim Scott. The better informed the American public is, the better off we are. This administration continues to have too little too late. They simply want to hide the information when in fact we have compelling evidence that the Wuhan lab, not nature, is the reason why COVID happened. Both the FBI and the U.S. Energy Department are lending credence to the lab leak theory. Workers at the Norfolk Southern derailment site in East Palestine, Ohio, are starting to get sick. The president of the Railroad Workers Union says those who are cleaning up the site are now experiencing migraines and nausea. A cop was shot and killed last night during a police chase in Chicago. Police Superintendent David Brown. We're heartbroken. This young officer who had a bright future ahead of him. And this is something that no family should have to face. The cop was shot by an 18-year-old who was chasing a woman. Crime is up 61% this year in Chicago. Closing arguments underway at the double murder trial of disgraced South Carolina attorney Alec Murdoch. I ask you to return a verdict of guilty. Prosecutors painted Alec Murdoch as a killer who murdered his wife and son to avoid confronting what they called a descending storm of past wrongs and as a dishonest man who used his decades of legal expertise to cover his tracks. Nikki Batiste reporting, mission accomplished at Cape Canaveral. The bright flame and deafening roar of the Falcon 9 rocket pushed the Dragon Endeavor and its crew into space. The launch director welcoming them to orbit. Also, a friendly reminder to put your sushi orders in for CRS-27. That's the next cargo resupply mission for the space station. Have a safe ride to the space station, and we look forward to seeing you when you get home. Thank you for flying SpaceX. Docking is set for early Friday. The crew will live on the station until September. Peter King, the Kennedy Space Center. All right, thank you, Peter. Still to come on the Noon Report Airport Scare in the Lehigh Valley. Morning, a fallen Buffalo firefighter. And who is Joanna McClinton anyway? We'll take a closer look after this. Well, good afternoon to all. I'm Kevin Williams tracking a western storm that's coming east. Looks like another messy mix for our region. Snow, ice, and rain later tomorrow into Saturday. Forecast details are up in 10. All right, Kevin, look for you then. Let's check the stories making news across New York and Pennsylvania. We will begin in Buffalo. A construction worker's torch is what sparked yesterday's deadly four-alarm fire that took the life of 37-year-old Jason Arno, a firefighter in the city. That costume shop caught fire around 10 a.m. Fire chaplain Paul Sile. We have different emotions, obviously, and this isn't something that we get over quickly. We remember these things, and it's just the very opening of this rawest of wounds. The firefighter leaves behind a wife and three-year-old child. A Carbon County, Pennsylvania man makes a court appearance today after police say he tried to bring an explosive onto an Allegiant Airlines flight at the Lehigh Valley International Airport. This passenger was relieved. We were a little bit shocked that somebody tried to pull something at a little neighborhood airport is what we think of it, but it is comforting to know that he didn't get very far. Alarms went off after 40-year-old Mark Muffley tried to check in a black suitcase that contained an explosive with fuses attached. Muffley left the airport after being paged. He was arrested at his home several hours later. Three are dead after a five-car crash on State Route 33 in northeastern Pennsylvania. That crash caused both lanes of traffic to shut down. Two tractor trailers were involved in that pileup. New York Governor Kathy Hochul is doubling down on her controversial housing 
compact, the state-sponsored land grab allows New York to overrule local zoning boards when it comes to public housing projects. People deserve the dignity of a good home, and I'm going to bring in the people, the resources we need to make this be successful. Critics contend the governor should not be pushing housing quotas at a time when a record number of people are fleeing the state of New York. Good government groups are worried about Hochul's fossil fuel-free economic agenda. New builds after 2030 will not have natural gas furnaces installed. Gas stoves will become more and more difficult to get, and you will not have new hookups for gas in many of these homes in just a few years. Jason McGuire with New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedom. The cars that were being moved to purchase that will be electric, no more gasoline cars after 2035. The cost of these things will be astronomical, hmm. and I think there will be a backlash here in the Empire State. McGuire predicts the governor's clean energy agenda will drive more people away from the Empire State. Pennsylvania's new Speaker of the House is no friend to conservatives, says Michael Gear with the Pennsylvania Family Institute. She's making history as the first African-American woman to take the speakership here, but when you look at her politics, she's as progressive as they come. Very vocal abortion supporter, very vocal on the LGBT issues and the transgender agenda. Still, Philadelphia Democrat Joanna McClinton is urging critics to keep an open mind about her. She was elected this week as Pennsylvania's first ever female Speaker of the House. Pennsylvania House Democrats also plan to introduce a bill that would allow people with terminal illnesses to commit suicide with a doctor's help. The lawmakers want Pennsylvania to join 10 states that have death with dignity laws. Pro-lifers fear this effort will lead to elder abuse. Pennsylvania Democrats pushing for abortion without restriction by adding a right to abortion in the state constitution. The so-called Women's Health Caucus held a press conference in Harrisburg yesterday to announce their effort to expand abortion access by rewriting the Pennsylvania Constitution. The Pennsylvania Family Institute says abortion only serves the interest and pockets of Planned Parenthood, not women, and certainly not unborn children. The so-called Reproductive Rights Amendment would allow abortions through all nine months of pregnancy and end the ban on taxpayer-funded abortions in Pennsylvania. Brandon Dixon, Family Life News. Thank you, Brandon. 2,000 people a day are on wait lists to be admitted to nursing homes in Pennsylvania. It's largely due to staffing shortages. The Pennsylvania Healthcare Association says nearly 60% of nursing homes have empty beds that are going unused because of a lack of caregivers. The Ontario County New York Sheriff says police were justified in using deadly force against a man who pointed a gun at them Tuesday night in Canandaigua. It began with a police chase and ended when that 31-year-old emerged from his vehicle with his weapon drawn. We kept hearing the cops continuously saying, put the gun down, put the gun down, we don't want to hurt you, we don't want to hurt you, put the gun down, put the gun down, put the gun down. The deceased driver had several rounds of ammunition and another weapon in his vehicle. The deputies involved in that shooting are on administrative leave pending the results of an investigation. The man accused of attacking former Long Island Congressman Lee Zeldin made another court appearance yesterday. David Jacobonis assaulted Zeldin while he was making a campaign stop in Monroe County last year. The suspect is in treatment for alcohol addiction while charges are pending. 
pending. A Pennsylvania supermarket is looking to reduce food waste and help customers at the same time. Family Life's Brian Query explains. More shoppers will have a chance to snap up discounted food at Pennsylvania supermarket Giant Eagle thanks to a new partnership with Flash Food, an app that connects users to discounted food that is nearing its best buy date. Here's how it works. Customers search the Flash Food app for items such as meat, produce boxes, dairy, and bakery items that are nearing their best buy dates. Shoppers pick up their order from the Flash Food Zone located inside the store. Since initially launching a test program in 2021, the partnership has diverted 350,000 pounds of food from reaching landfills, approximately 130,000 meals. Brian Query, Family Life News. Thank you, Brian. Work began today on removing the Lake Erie Niagara River ice boom. This is the earliest in about a decade that the boom is being removed. Last year, that boom wasn't taken out of the water until the end of March. It prevents ice buildup from Lake Erie from flowing into the Niagara River. Just 1% of Lake Erie is currently frozen in ice at this time. Let's pause next. Check your midday sports right here on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon. I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, it was a big night for Jalen Brunson and the New York Knicks. Brunson scored 39 points to lead the New Yorkers to a lopsided victory over Brooklyn. Julius Randle chipped in with 21 as New York won this one easily, 142 to 118. Cameron Johnson had 33 for the Nets. No Joel Embiid, no problem for Philadelphia. The Sixers got 27 points from Tyrese Maxey, 23 from James Harden, and they beat the Heat 119-96. Embiid had the night off resting a sore foot. Kevin Durant scored 23 in his Phoenix Suns debut, and the Suns took care of business with Charlotte 105-91. Also winning on the hardwood, Chicago, Boston, Memphis, Milwaukee, the Lakers, and Pelicans. On the ice, the Rangers and the Flyers had a back-and-forth affair that saw Mika Zibanejad score in the first, but Owen Tippett answered for Philly. Then Scott Lawton put Philadelphia ahead in the second, but Chris Kreider tied it at two in the third, and that set the stage for newcomer Vladimir Tarasenko to bury the game winner in overtime for the Blue Shirts. Rangers three, Flyers two. Edmonton, Dallas, New Jersey, Washington, and Vegas also skated to wins. We all know there's a lot of money that gets tossed around in professional sports, and that was proven to be true once again at an auction. The jersey Joe Montana wore in two Super Bowl victories shattered the record for the most money ever paid for a football jersey. The previous record was a jersey worn by Tom Brady that auctioned off for $450,000. Montana's sold for $1.212 million. Like I said, a lot of money in professional sports. That is a look at sports. Yeah, but it's Joe Montana, Randy. Thank you very much, sir. Still to come on the Noon Report, it's closing time at the Murdaugh murder trial. Could we have a verdict today? King Kong turns 90 today. And the fungus among us in Lincoln County, Tennessee. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. One of the strangest stories of the last couple years is how teenage girls have been stricken with facial tics after browsing the video sharing app TikTok. 
Earlier this month, Azim Gurishi published a deep dive on this strange phenomenon at the New York Times. Looking back at the puzzling explosion of TikTok ticks during the pandemic, she reported that contagious outbreaks of strange behavior are not new and have a technical name, quote, mass psychogenic illness. Such mass psychogenic events used to be limited to real-life social circles, but social media has now, quote, dissolved the boundaries that once kept outbreaks geographically contained. Most interesting about Garishi's piece is the correlation between social media-induced mental illnesses and LGBTQ identities. In fact, she wrote, doctors at a recent conference in Switzerland admitted that, quote, a surprising percentage of their patients with the TikTok ticks also identified as transgender or non-binary. Now, unsurprisingly, all of this gets blamed on discrimination and stigma and bias that trans kids suffer. A much more reasonable way to interpret the disproportionate occurrence of mass psychogenic illness among girls and LGBT social media users, however, is that there are certain groups more vulnerable to social contagion. Last year, a British National Health Service study revealed that two-thirds of adolescents now being referred to gender clinics are girls. Just a decade ago, most were boys. This month, the Centers for Disease Control released a shocking survey showing that a record percentage of teenage girls, over half, now experience persistent sadness and hopelessness. Nearly a third say they've seriously considered suicide. Social psychologist Jonathan Haidt argues in a sweeping new analysis that this catastrophic rise in teenage mental illness is largely caused by social media use. On TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter, young girls are exposed to ideas, images, pressures, and trends that lead to far worse things than just ticks. Huge numbers develop eating disorders, suicidal ideation, and deep confusion about their identity. Now, there's at least two lessons to be learned here. The first should be obvious by now, but sadly is not for some reason. Teenagers should not be allowed on social media, period. The second is about human nature and how inherently porous our personalities and identities are. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians that bad company ruins good morals. Now, it sounds moralistic, but reality doesn't bend. Humans influence one another. We're created as social beings. In a fallen world, social networks, especially the global ones mediated by pocket-sized devices, transmit harmful behaviors and ideas from, maybe I have a tick, to, I'll never be as pretty as those Instagram models, to, I don't feel at home in my body, I must have been born in the wrong one. These phenomena are connected because we're made to connect. Contrary to what our expressive individualist culture teaches us, our identities are not internal, immutable concepts that we discover and then announce to the world. We're profoundly shaped by the behaviors, the beliefs, and the expectations of others. Millions of girls with instant access to our culture's most viral and dangerous behaviors and beliefs are currently manifesting the results. Their sicknesses are a clear sign that our society's sick. In order to treat them and us, we'll have to admit how the disease spreads. We'll have to admit the connection between mental illness and gender confusion. We'll have to keep them away from the clinics and the smartphone apps where the disease is celebrated. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Shane Morris. For more resources to live like a Christian in this cultural moment, go to colsoncenter.org. Let's take it outside next. Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast. For this afternoon, expect cloud cover to prevail with a few sunny breaks. High temperatures ranging from around 40 near Lake Ontario to the lower mid-50s in eastern Pennsylvania. Some patchy clouds tonight, low temps, 20s and low 30s. Tomorrow, early sun for some, but otherwise cloudy. Snow and sleet will arrive and change to freezing rain and rain in some areas. Into Saturday, that precipitation will continue.
High temperatures in the 30s and low 40s both days. All right, Kev, thank you very much. This is the Noon Report. I'm your host, Bob Price. Thanks for checking in. We've got a lot to talk about Thursday, the 2nd of March. The Conservative Political Action Conference, otherwise known as CPAC, is now underway in the nation's capital. Two likely presidential contenders next year are not there, however. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former Vice President Mike Pence. Donald Trump is there, as is Nikki Haley. They are are two of the three declared candidates so far on the Republican side. Flags flying at half-staff today in Buffalo in honor of 37-year-old Jason Arno. He's the firefighter killed yesterday in the line of duty following that four-alarm blaze in downtown Buffalo. Arno leaves behind a wife and three-year-old child. Buffalo Fire Chaplain Paul Sile. You can't give words of like, oh, everything's going to be fine because it's not going to be fine. Arno became trapped while battling the blaze at a costume shop in the city's theater district. We're learning more today about a security scare at the airport earlier this week. It happened at the Lehigh Valley Airport in eastern Pennsylvania. Surprising. Surprising that somebody thinks they can get away with it. A 40-year-old man now in custody for reportedly trying to get a bomb onto a plane there in Allentown. Anytime an explosive gets on an aircraft, if that were to happen and it was detonated in the air, it could be catastrophic. Former Air Marshal Keith Jeffries, the Suspect makes his first court appearance today. That explosive device was found in a suitcase with fuses attached to it. TikTok is rolling out a new feature to help limit the time that kids spend using that social media app. In the coming weeks, all users under the age of 18 will be limited to one hour a day of TikTok. The Biden administration's just rolled out a plan that calls on the military and police to help respond to cyber attacks. Congress is also being asked to impose liability rules on companies whose products do not meet basic cybersecurity standards. Here's reporter Nicole Skanga. The White House has unveiled a national cybersecurity strategy calling for more regulation on critical infrastructure in the wake of billions in economic losses from criminal ransomware attacks. The White House calls out China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea for aggressive cyber tactics and elevates ransomware attacks to the level of a national security threat. Attorney General Garland is pledging not to interfere in the criminal investigation into Hunter Biden's business dealings. I promise to leave the matter of Hunter Biden in the hands of the U.S. Attorney for the District of Delaware, who was appointed in the previous administration. Former Assistant FBI Director Chris Swecker. The might and power of the Justice Department under his supervision only seems to fall on people who are on the right wing of the political spectrum, who have conservative ideology. The attorney general was accused yesterday during a Senate hearing of trying to politicize the Justice Department. Missouri Senator Josh Howley's pushing to declassify all the intelligence on the origins of COVID. This after the FBI director said there's validity to the lab leak theory. The U.S. Energy Department also is on the record supportive of the notion that COVID originated from a lab in communist China. It is closing time at the murder trial of Alec Murdoch. Prosecutors called the accused a cold-blooded killer with means, motive, and opportunity. This defendant has fooled everyone, everyone, 
He's fooled them all. Yesterday, the jury took a field trip to the crime scene. They toured the dog kennels, where prosecutors say Murdaugh killed his wife and son. Murdaugh says he was nowhere near those kennels the night of the murder, but cell phone evidence says otherwise. There's a fungus among us in Lincoln County, Tennessee. Patrick Long and others are talking about a black, sooty crust that results from nearby Jack Daniels whiskey warehouses. Evaporation of the ethanol that's inside those barrel houses with all that alcohol turns into a black fungus, and that black fungus attaches itself to anything that doesn't move. Locals have sued to prevent Jack Daniels from building more whiskey-aging buildings known as barrel houses in the area. That is correspondent Jim Crisula. It's 25 past the hour, and this is the Noon Report on Family Life. This is Faith Under Fire from Family Life. I'm Greg Gillespie. One of the things that is among the most challenging that congregations face are allegations of abuse, whether that's in employment processes or child and teen safety. Today, we talk with Teresa Seidbotham, who is a consultant and attorney who helps congregations deal with such things. I'll tell you, this can be a tender topic for adults and for children, so be aware of that as we go through this five-minute conversation. We begin with some positive news before we turn toward the complexity that happens if an allegation, true or not, comes forward. But Teresa Seidbotham tells us that things are getting better as public awareness grows. Once we get policies and protection in place, we see a sharp drop. So that's the encouraging thing is policies and protection actually do work. Having good responses actually does help. Let me shift gears to advice for if there is a congregation or a network that has had an abuse allegation come forward. If you are an elder or a leader of those congregations where there is some abuse happen, what are the first two or three steps you need to do? What do you need to do on legal protections? taking care of the people, handling the public relations. That is indeed a very complicated situation, and intuitively people don't always know how to respond. If it's a child abuse allegation, it's important to make sure that you've dealt with any mandatory reporting. That's pretty urgent to deal with that. Uh, Another important thing is to make sure people are safe, whether that's children, if there's been a child abuse allegation, whether that's employees, if there's been a sexual harassment allegation. So those are pretty urgent. And then the ministry has the challenge of both receiving and hearing the allegation and taking the person making it very seriously, but also putting in place a fair process for the person who's accused. That's where it gets really difficult. You have to evaluate and see what kind of response you need, whether you need an investigation, how that would be set up. So that's the going forward piece of evaluating what happened. In the meantime, there's pastoral care, certainly to people who may have been harmed and are bringing forward allegations. And then if someone's accused, there's eventually also going to be a need to provide some care there as well. A small church board should not be trying to handle this all on their own without some expert advice. And whether it's through a denomination or through legal guidance. 
Well, you mentioned the denomination, and I think that's a good place to start because they may either have the expertise or they may have relationships in place with others who do have that expertise. Uh, especially for large ministries, it's great if there's already relationships in place with maybe Child Protective Services or law enforcement. Uh, and even if not, sometimes they can offer some helpful guidance. It can be very helpful to work with an attorney that specializes in ministry work or in responding to allegations. And we often work with people with psychological expertise. And there might or might not be people who have that within the ministry. But they can be very helpful, either how to respond to people, how to evaluate people, how to support people and provide care. And so there are a lot of resources. Telius Teaches is an affiliate that provides online training for churches and ministries, child protection, sexual harassment, racial reconciliation, lots of others. And that's all from a scriptural perspective. So it's designed for ministries. It's biblically based as well as legal. We work a lot with ministries, some with businesses, especially faith-based businesses. And a huge chunk of that is responding to allegations. And when we do this work, we try again to think, how is God calling us to redemptive practice? How do we take care of people? How do we encourage the ministries to fulfill their calling to take care of people? You know, what is the righteous approach as well as you know, what is a truthful and legally sound approach? Teresa Seidbotham is an attorney who founded Telios Law. Their specialty is on handling allegations of sexual harassment or abuse in a ministry, as well well as providing training and resources and coaching for churches and other ministries that are designed to prevent such possibilities from cropping up. I'm Greg Gillespie. This is Faith Under Fire from Family Life News. All right, Greg, thank you. You can catch Faith Under Fire every Thursday during the Noon Report or online anytime. Just go to familylife.org and click on the news icon on the podcast page. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. The latest winter storm to bring more feet of snow to the mountain west is coming east. And like many storms this winter, it's going to kind of turn into a messy mix here in our region with snow, ice, and rain on tap later tomorrow into tomorrow night and Saturday. I don't think it's a huge storm for the area, but it could be impactful for travel, so let's stay in touch. For this afternoon, expect cloud cover to prevail with a few sunny breaks. High temperatures ranging from around 40 near Lake Ontario to the lower mid-50s in eastern Pennsylvania. Some patchy clouds tonight, low temps, 20s and low 30s. Tomorrow, early sun for some, but otherwise cloudy. Snow and sleet will arrive and change to freezing rain and rain in some areas. Into Saturday, that precipitation will continue. High temperatures in the 30s and low 40s both days. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. Finally, at noon today, it was 90 years ago today that a legendary film made its Hollywood debut. King Kong was one of Hollywood's first serious attempts to create a groundbreaking horror film. It was during the Depression, and audiences were looking for escapism. Harry Medved is with the Cinema Foundation. People in 1933 had never seen anything like it. The film tells the story of a giant ape, King Kong, who falls in love with a beautiful young woman played by Faye Ray. I think the film's played in every country in the world. The climactic scene has Kong climbing to the top of the Empire State Building, where he's attacked by planes and falls to his death. It wasn't the airplanes. It was beauty killed the beast. 
King Kong is still considered among the greatest films ever made. Steve Futterman, Los Angeles. The premiere of King Kong, 90 years ago today. That's the world we live in today, Thursday, the 2nd of March. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.